Hi folks, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. Thanks for tuning in. Great to have you back with us today. It's rainy season here in Japan. We've got two of them every year. Uh, one in June, although with global warming, it's been more like July this year. And another one due in September. We've had a bit of a typhoon actually here in Kyushu last Monday. Hope everyone listening around these parts stayed safe and dry. Japan is generally a very humid place with a lot of rainy days compared to other parts of the world, but it still has a fair amount of sunlight on an annual basis, which leads me to our next subject, which is solar energy, and more specifically, the way in which Japan's current solar energy scene ties into real estate projects and investments that we might be able to get involved in. So the use of solar energy, along with other types of renewable energy sources, was slowly increasing over the decades here, as in most other parts of the world. But the major breakthrough came in the years following the 2011 tsunami disaster, and more importantly, the related nuclear spillage at Fukushima, which kicked off a nationwide closure of all nuclear reactors, as well as huge waves of protest and public pressure to switch to less dangerous and more sustainable power sources. These normally include biomass, geothermal, solar, and wind energy, of which solar panel installations have been by far and wide the most popular technology. In the years between 2012 to 2016, uh, 17 actually, Japan's solar energy productions jumped from around six and a half megawatts capacity to just under 43,000, so almost six and a half times increase in just five years, and placed us third in production globally, right behind Germany and China, who are the global leaders in solar energy production. Since nuclear power plants were providing about 25% of the country's energy at the time of the Fukushima disaster, the national government, which recognized the need for an immediate and comprehensive substitute, rose to the challenge, and they've introduced what was, at the time, the world's highest feed-in tariff system, meaning they forced power companies to buy excess power generated by renewable energy installations at very generous rates. And this naturally led to a solar farm project's frenzy as everyone and their dog hurried to cash in. This frenzy lasted all the way into mid-2016. Since then, nuclear power plants have been reviewed, overhauled, and renovated, and many of them have been restarted, but as of this date, they still only account for less than 5% of the national power capacity. Renewable energy now accounts for about the same capacity, and it's benchmarked to rise to somewhere around 22 to 24% by the year 2030. In the last two years, though, things have tapered down a bit. Uh, existing power grids begin to feel the pressure, and many providers haven't been able to upgrade their infrastructures sufficiently enough to deal with this huge increase in feed-in supplies. Another issue is that solar energy supply by nature fluctuates, so depending on the weather and of course the time of day, power consumption is normally higher in the evening, at which time solar feed is naturally non-existent, and current available battery storage technology still isn't quite affordable and efficient enough to compensate, or at least not without significantly increasing construction and maintenance costs of these power grid installations. This forced the government to cut back on the tariffs in order to slow down the increase in energy feed-ins, 
and to redirect some of these investments back towards dirtier but more stable energy sources such as coal and gas, which have also decreased in cost in recent years. This in turn created a snowball effect which saw a lot of these um, solar energy providers going out of business, bankrupt, and many of them... In 2016, a record number of 65 solar companies actually shut down, which wasn't necessarily a bad thing since many of them had very fuzzy business strategies and they relied almost entirely on government subsidies with very little capital of their own and had very badly planned marketing and sales strategies. The power companies lobby, meanwhile, started pushing very strongly towards restarting nuclear reactors since they obviously weren't happy with the policy forcing them to pay off renewable energy operators for their feed-ins, which a policy which has been eating significantly into their profits, and things started looking quite gloomy again for the renewable energy industry. Fast forward to today, it looks like the future for solar energy, while not as insanely optimistic as it was back in 2012 to 2016, still a cautiously positive future, Industry analysts are actually in favor of the clampdown and stricter regulations imposed by government, mainly because they point out that this helped weed out shoddy and half-baked operators who are forced out of business. Insurance companies, meanwhile, also tightened their coverage requirements for solar farms, which helped in forcing the remaining operators to utilize their equipment more efficiently and to introduce proper monitoring and maintenance, replacing, repairing, malfunctioning panels, which in some cases caused up to 10% capacity loss for some of the operators. Also, this push by authorities and insurance companies helped in forcing smaller, less efficient operators to conglomerate and consolidate into larger joint projects, which again fine-tuned production and equipment utilization. This necessity to better monitor and utilize equipment also helped by leading to more maintenance companies setting up offices nationwide, providing better coverage, better performance, employment opportunities, and even in revitalizing some of the more rural communities in many areas around the country, which have solar and sun exposure going for them. So all in all, a more balanced approach, which will hopefully be more sustainable over time. So what does the future hold for the solar industry in Japan? And how can we as property investors tap into that market? Well, in a few ways. Firstly, while Japan does enjoy a fair amount of sunlight, it is short of large and open land areas, which are necessary for large-scale solar energy production. A typical solar farm, which generates the energy equivalent to, say, one nuclear power plant, requires 60 square kilometers of flat land resources. And this is a rarity in Japan, which is a very mountainous area and quite short on space. What's this done is it's caused solar operators to slowly and surely shift from landed solar farms to floating ones. Floating solar farms are actually easier and cheaper to construct. They don't require land excavations or earthquake-resistant foundations, and they even have the added value of reducing evaporation and slowing algae growth in freshwater. So anyone entering this sector will find plenty of local municipalities who would be more than happy to cooperate in construction of solar farms on any of Japan's many freshwater lakes, and of these we have a fair few. Secondly, and perhaps more accessible to us, if you're in the residential home construction business, or even just purchasing secondhand homes, 
There's now a very large national shift from utility-level solar installations, which again require larger land plots or existing uh, big structures like shopping centers, department stores, hotels, and so forth, and towards smaller residential rooftop installations. Now, these are already a standard feature in many of Japan's new residential homes, and even in office and other commercial buildings. It's actually estimated that over the longer term, 70% of the nation's solar supply will come from these smaller rooftop installations. Now, couple that with the decreasing feed-in tariffs, there's definitely going to be a need to efficiently store and utilize this energy. And that's leading some very large electronic giants like Panasonic and Tesla to invest more and more in solar battery technologies. So if you do invest in solar rooftop installations over whichever structures you're invested in or going to be investing in, you'll most likely have the technology to utilize it and make it more desirable to buyers or even to tenants. Panasonic, for example, have been quoted as saying that they strongly believe that next year, 2019, is going to be the turning point in which the standard practice will shift from grid supply to storage and utilizations, and they've positioned their company to be active in that space. Also, if you'll recall from our tech innovation episode a couple of weeks back, there are now more and more solutions available for homes that are built around this ZEI concept, the zero emissions home, which makes this an even more appealing prospect for homeowners. So if you're building to sell, that's definitely the way to go. Residential solar module prices have actually gone down by about half over the last eight years, and half of that decrease has been just over the last two years, which means demand will definitely be there as will the profit. And maybe even more importantly, you'll be part of the renewable energy revolution and help secure Japan's clean and renewable energy future for decades to come. And you can't really ask for more than that, can you? Okay, that's it from us today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this rather optimistic episode of NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. We'd love to receive your comments, your questions, and invitations to discuss anything you've heard here today. If you found this content interesting, we're hoping you've already subscribed to this feed. And also, please do feel free to share it with your own networks. And if you've got a moment, we'd greatly appreciate if you could rate our podcast too in the iTunes store, the Google Play store, or wherever you might have found it. Hope to have you with us next time. And until then, as always, from all of us here at Nippon Tradings International, we wish you happy investing. <laughs>